Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, speaking of professions of faith. We thank you for these young people today who've done just that. And they've done it in a way that is visible and tangible and that we all can see with our eyes. And we see the, the outward manifestation of an inward reality of knowing you. And today we make the same confession and we make it over and over that you are our Lord, you are our Savior. And we worship you in every way we can find, in every every avenue that we can find to worship you, we do so. And today we come to that time when we worship you by looking in your word and allowing your Holy Spirit to speak to us through your word. And I pray that every heart would be receptive, every ear would be open, and that we would accept and receive the mind of Christ through your word. And I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. I, after uh, finishing up last Sunday uh, and wondering what to do next, uh, I thought if Lisa could sneeze, that'd be a good good start. So she did it right on cue. No, you, you're not bothering me. Uh, I think that Maybe the Lord will allow me some, maybe in January or sometime to, to begin a series on the pastoral epistles. And he said, what's the pastoral epistles? Well, that's letters about cows. No, that's just a joke. That's pasture. Uh, this is three books, first Timothy, second Timothy and Titus. Um, but as I was looking this week, I looked at just a few verses. In Second Timothy, which is where we'll be going in a few moments. And I saw some verses and a few words jumped off the page at me. And I thought, this is what we're going to do this coming Sunday. The title that I've given today's message is uh, Sound Doctrine for Perilous Times. Sound Doctrine for Perilous Times. And I'll get to it in a moment. How many of you believe we are living in perilous times? Yeah. Let me just say this at the outset. Anything that I say today, anything that I say today, or maybe even anything I don't say today, has absolutely nothing to do with the elections last Tuesday, okay? I mean, they may be a manifestation of something of our culture, but that's not what I'm talking about. We were in perilous times before last Tuesday, you might have noticed. Uh, before last year, we were in perilous times. Paul wrote... To Titus, the aforementioned book, he wrote to Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine. And he goes on to say this, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. And then he says this, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. If you've been around me very much over the years, you've heard me say numerous times, one of my deepest concerns in the church are professing Christians. And I mean it in the sense of this verse. He said, they profess to know God, but in their works, they deny him. There are a lot of people, I think, that maybe maybe with a pure heart, I don't know, but profess to be Christians, but really 
only know him in a religious sense. And as I said last Sunday, only know Jesus as a, an historical figure or a figurehead from days gone by. And we identify with him. But in times like these, I love that old song, we need an anchor. In times like these, we need to be able to be stable. We need to be able to be consistent. We need to be able to walk on solid ground in our Christian lives. And so I wanted to look just at a few verses in, in uh, 2 Timothy, and we're going to start at chapter 3. Uh, and just I'm going to begin today by just reading the first five verses. We'll read some more in a little bit, some other verses, but uh, we're not going to cover all of these. But anyway, if you if you would stand while I read the, the scriptures, and I'm again throwing you a little bit of a curve today. I'm reading again from the New King James Version. Uh, Paul writes to his spiritual son. He says, "But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come." Now, a lot of your Bibles there are going to say "difficult." Nothing wrong with that. Difficult times for men. And by the way, men there is the Greek word "anthropos," which means human beings. <laughs> so it's men and women. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You can be seated. I like that way that music was timed just perfect for the end of the reading of the word. Perilous times. It's nothing new, and yet it seems to be, in musical terms, it seems to be crescendoing as days go by. Um, and I want to point this out. He said, in the last days, now you and I might think when we hear those words, we might think, oh, the last days. That's just before Jesus comes back way out into the future. Actually, the last days began when Jesus showed up. That was the last days. And Peter, Peter emphasized that when he, on the day of Pentecost, when he quoted Joel and quoted God through Joel and say, he said, in the, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And Peter said, this is that. It's a great sermon title, by the way. This is that. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. So the last days is not something way out into the future. You and I are living in the last days. And he wrote to his spiritual son, in the last days, there will be difficult, perilous times. And the word perilous is really a word that really means stressful or difficult. It's something that causes stress in our lives. Um, it, Paul is describing a society of people that is barren of virtue but abounding in vices, barren of virtue in, before God, but abounding in vices that become crutches. He's exhorting his spiritual son, Timothy, to continue in the gospel in the face of a great increase of evil, even in that day, a great increase. He also, he warns Timothy earlier in this Letter And again, maybe next year we can get to that. 
He warns Timothy earlier in the letter that behind what he calls empty chatter and foolish disputes. Now, how many of you would agree? You don't even have to raise your hand because I know you do. How many of you would agree? We live in a day of empty chatter and foolish disputes. All you got to do is look at Facebook for 10 minutes. She said five. Any social media. Just look. You'll see empty chatter and foolish disputes. But Paul's writing about it 2,000 years ago or a little less than that. But he wrote to Timothy that behind all of that lurks the devil himself. If you're taking notes, you can write down 2 Timothy 2.26. But when we deal with these issues of the day, it's not, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. I've said often that I believe the spirit of Herod is still alive today. The spirit that moved King Herod to kill boys two years age and younger in an attempt to eliminate King Jesus. That spirit is still alive today and is still attempting to eliminate King Jesus from our world and from our society. And people get really bent out of shape when you say something about that. Then he gives us two verses of what I call godless humanity. Uh, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to deal with all of them, but I'm going to read them again. It's kind of depressing, but he said lovers of themselves, which is a clue, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents. We don't have anything like that going on today. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brooder, uh, brutal despisers of good traitors, headstrong, haughty, and here, it's like, it's like bookends. Lovers of themselves. And then he closes it out with lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we definitely are definitely, we are definitely in a generation of people, uh, who are given to pleasure above everything. What, what, uh, what feels good? What makes me feel good? What makes me happy? That's what I want. I want what makes me happy. And I, I, even if it's a temporal pleasure, give me the pleasure. And, and Timothy, and Paul's writing to Timothy, you're dealing with these folks. They've got these traits. Self. Self is obviously our greatest enemy. William Barclay, the commentator I quote sometimes wrote, the moment a man makes his own will, the center of life, divine and human relationships are destroyed. Obedience to God and charity to men both become impossible. And the essence of Christianity is not the enthronement, but the obliteration of self. Which is why we sang the song today, yet not I. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but yet not I. But Christ lives in me and through me. And to the degree we can live in that crucified state is to that same degree that we are in obedience to God and we experience real joy and real satisfaction that is not temporal. It's eternal. Paul, in the next verse, talks about having a form of godliness and denying its power. He describes these people as having an outward pretense but being able to speak the vocabulary of Christians. Form of godliness, but without the power. Being able to know Christianese, 
but not know the Christ of the Christian, having a form of godliness. And I would dare say that uh, you can find that uh, among our culture rampant. I'm not going. I'm not going to say most churches because that's not true. But some churches and some groups of people uh, have a form of godliness, but they don't. There's no power. There's no power. If there's no power, there's no salvation. The only way we can be saved is through the power of God. And then he says this. That's an interesting thing. He said, avoid these folks. Avoid such people. And obviously, he's not talking about just people who are sinners, people who do not know Christ. You know, my wife and I always joke, you know, we you look at people in the world who don't know Christ, and they act like people of the world. Why should we be surprised? Why would you be surprised if someone acts like their nature? And that's just who they are. You pray, you know, it's like the old thing of trying to get a, a, a hog, a pig. I don't know which one's politically correct, but a swine. To act like a sheep. You can try it all you want to. Uh, but they're not going to do it. Because they love the mud. And sheep hate the mud. But when you convert that pig into a sheep, they no longer like the mud. Now, I don't know how you convert a pig into a sheep. Uh, they both taste like chicken, I think. But when we talk about people who are outside God's kingdom, outside his church, that's not who Paul's talking about. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus was a friend. Everybody say a friend. Not friendly. He was a friend to sinners. So it's kind of impossible for us to emulate Christ and avoid. But what he's saying is, and, and by the way, if you're a note taker, write down 1 Corinthians 5. You'll be surprised what Paul writes about how we should behave towards one another. As a matter of fact, I'm going to blow your mind here. He tells us that we should judge one another. Oh, boy. Don't judge me. Don't you judge me. Well, that's not biblical. I'm just telling you, read 1 Corinthians 5. It is biblical that we don't judge those outside the church, and he makes that very clear. But inside the church, he says, avoid these people within the church. In other words, those people who are pretending, those people who are lovers of God, I mean, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, those people who have a form of godliness, who are professing to be Christians, but have no evidence whatsoever, avoid those folks. I didn't say that. Paul said that. Jesus said that. Charles Ellicott was a, a pastor in the Church of England, and he wrote that Paul was giving a description here of a kind of heathen Christianity, a kind of uh, Christian atheism, so to speak, that he was describing a group of people who Wanted you to think and wanted to, wanted to appear that they were Christian people, but the truth is they were not. And why were they not? It wasn't because of their behavior or lack thereof. It was because of who they knew. You know, it is true that it matters not what you know, but who you know. And more importantly, it matters if they know you. It, it matters. You know, I hate using you as an example, Ricky, but people say, do you know Ricky Skaggs? 
I said, yeah. And he knows me. <laughs> Do you know Garth Brooks? Yeah, I know Garth Brooks. He ain't got a clue who I am. <laughs> and there's the difference. I know Jesus Christ. Well, does he know you? That's the key. And if he knows you, then you're not that professing Christian without the power of God. You need to know that he knows you. Paul, down in verse 10, he writes to his spiritual son. He says, but you, in the, in the Greek text there, it really means, it really says this, but as for you, but as for you, my son, verse 10, you have carefully followed my doctrine. My manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, love, and perseverance. Persecutions, afflictions. He goes through the list. You follow this. You're, you're, basically he's saying you're my disciple. You have followed me. You followed my teaching. And when I was putting this together, I was reminded of Jesus telling us that we should teach these new disciples in the Great Commission to obey all the commands that he has given all the commands. So we are all, by the way, teachers. You're a teacher, whether you like it or not. Because Jesus has not offered uh, an assignment to you. Jesus has not offered you a, a, a voluntary position. Jesus has, com- everybody say commanded. Amen. Now you might not like being commanded, but that's all right. Jesus has commanded for you to make disciples. It's not an option. And in the process of making disciples, you teach them to obey whatever Jesus has told you to obey. It's not complicated. You don't need a seminary degree for that. It's just, you just tell them what has happened to you. I think, I think it's interesting in the middle of this list, he said, you know my purpose. You've known my purpose. And that's a, that's a word that really means a deliberate plan. It, it means a design. So it's interesting to me that in the midst of the conflicts that he's expressing to Timothy, in the midst of all of that, he had not lost sight of God's divine plan for him. And we must be careful that no matter what we face, no matter what challenges or stress or perilous times we face, we must be careful that we don't lose sight of God's divine purpose on our lives. Often when I write birthday cards, I will, I will write, so people say, well, thank you for writing the birthday card. And you, you just can't be offended that I don't remember what I wrote. For one thing, I can't remember. And for another thing, sometimes I'm writing a stack of them at a time. But often I'll write something like, this is the day that you celebrate the sovereignty of God. Because it was a sovereign God who chose to give you life. And it was a sovereign God who chose this day to give you life. No accident that you were born on the day you were born. It's no accident. It's no accident that you were born. It wasn't just that your your daddy looked at your mama and your mama looked at your daddy. And the next thing you know, you were out somewhere, you know, in a hospital. No, God was in that. You would not have been born had not God been involved. You would not have been born on the day you were born. Except God's involved. Purpose. In contrast to the current decline of that day, and of course ours as well, 
in morals and empty Christianity and the insurgence of false teaching, Timothy is called and charged to be different. Now, when I say we need to be different, I, I don't mean, you know, if the world's parting their hair on the left, we need to part our hair on the right. You know, that's so silly. You know, if, if the world, if the women are wearing dresses, then we need to be wearing pants. Our women need to be wearing pants. If the women in the world are wearing pants, our women need to wear dresses. No, I'm not talking about that. I was standing on the docks of a, of a, a port when I was 18 years old, had surrendered to the ministry. Someone told one of the guys there that I was, I was a minister. We're going to be a minister. I had hair about as long as Ricky's at that time, maybe a little longer. And uh, the guy come up behind me. He said, somebody told me you was a preacher. I said, well, I, you know, I surrendered to the call. He said, you can't be a preacher. I said, how come? He said, look at your hair. You can't be a preacher with hair like that. Well, here we are. <laughs> Almost 50 years later. I, I basically told him, well, just hang on. We'll see. But he's calling Timothy to be different in his life and in his commitment, not for the sake of being different. That's another thing we have to watch as Christians. We, we try to do things just for the sake of being different. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about we have a different set of morals. We have a different, different set of values. We have a different uh, set of principles that guide us. And he tells Timothy, continue in what you have learned. Verse 14, continue in what you have learned. And it's good that you've learned it. And he said, and remember from whom you have learned. And I love commentators who look at, uh, I think it's verse 14. Yeah. They look at this and it says, remember knowing from whom you have learned them. I love commentators who get it. Well, no, I think it was Paul. I think he was talking about himself. And other commentators say, oh, no, no. I think it was his mother and his grandmother. And I'm going, hey, guys. Can you get over yourself long enough to allow for the fact that he's talking about all of them? I mean, he received from his grandmother and his mother. And he received from the Apostle Paul. Continue in what you have learned. And don't forget from whom you learned it. And then he gets really starts meddling. John Stott. I, I have a couple of quotes from him. He said, this message has perhaps never been needed more than today when men boast of inventing a new Christianity with a new theology and a new morality, all of which betoken a new reformation. You know what's interesting about that statement? He wrote that 49 years ago. Sounds like he wrote it this week. Because we've always had to deal with people trying to saying, well, you know, Christianity was trying to adjust Christianity. Well, that's not, you know, we, we don't need like that. It's, it's a different day. We need to change things up. We need to alter things. We need to revamp things. We need to create a new theology. We need to, you know, hmm, okay, Lord, help me. But he says in verse chapter three, verse 15, he said, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Let's everybody say Holy Scriptures. You've known from childhood. Now, this is very clear that from childhood, we know who taught him the Holy Scriptures, his mother and his grandmother. And they were they were uh, careful to make sure he understood the Holy Scriptures. 
And then he says the verse that many of us can quote, verse 16. He says, all Scripture, everybody say all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture comes from God. Uh, it, all Scripture is the product of God's creative breath. God exhaled and his word was established. It's never been unestablished. It's never been taken away. All scripture is God breathed. And then he starts telling us that it's profitable. It's profitable. And he makes this list. And again, John Stott, man, he gives us a great picture. He says the prophet, and that's P-R-O-F-I-T for those of you listening on the podcast. The prophet of scripture relates to both creed and conduct. As for our creed, scripture is profitable for teaching the truth and refuting error. And as for conduct, it is profitable for reformation of manners and discipline in right living. The, the scriptures benefit us not only in our belief, in our, and it's important that we have strong belief. It's important that we have a creed. It's important that we believe the, what the, uh, the foundation of the scriptures. But it's also important that we see the scriptures through the work of the Holy Spirit moving us into a place of conduct. Look what verse 16 says. He says it's profitable for teaching or doctrine and then for reproof. That's a, that's identifying. Reproof is identifying where we need to be adjusted. And then the next word, correction, is us being adjusted. Conduct. And then he finishes up instruction in righteousness. Can I tell you that receiving teaching is more than listening to a lecture? Receiving true teaching becomes instruction in righteousness. And then he says, why? In verse 17, that the man of God, again, Anthropos, would be thoroughly equipped. That we would be, that you would be, that I would be thoroughly equipped. The imagery in that, in the language of that verse is a rescue boat that would be equipped with whatever needs to be, and sent out into the sea to rescue someone in distress. And you would bring with you whatever you needed to make that rescue. And you and I, the scriptures are profitable to equip us to become rescue people. And when when you walk into the gas station or the grocery store or the post office or someone's uh, kitchen and sit at the table and they they don't know Christ and they have no hope, you have been equipped by the scriptures to be the rescue person for them. And what what are you told to do? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Verse 2, preach the word. You say, well, he, he was a preacher. Yes, he was. And we had a discussion earlier this week where we think that Timothy's probably the, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Paul's instructing him and he says, preach the word. But you know what? That's not limited to him. It's certainly not limited to clergy. 
It's certainly not limited to someone who has a piece of paper. I got pieces of paper on my wall, but that doesn't mean I'm the only one who can preach the word. I hope not. It's the, it's to proclaim. He said, preach the word. Why did he say preach the word? Well, in the context of what he's telling his spiritual son, it's this. The answer to a false gospel is not argument or debate. I love it when, you know, people try to argue someone else into the truth. I, I've told you probably, but I, some of you didn't hear it. But in high school, I had a really good friend. We were good friends. And for a solid year, I'd get out of basketball practice. And he'd be waiting on me on the steps of the gymnasium. And we would sit on those steps. And for a solid hour, we would argue he was Jehovah's Witness. And I was not. I was Christian. And we would talk and argue for a solid hour about our faith. And he would try to convince me of of what he believed. And I would try to convince him of what I thought the Bible taught. And we did that for a solid year. Neither one of us made a move. He certainly didn't. And, you know, he's in, I don't know where he is now, I'll be honest with you. He's dead, I can tell you that much. But I learned that an ar- a year of arguing was not going to move him to the gospel. I, you know, I'm 17 years old probably. I thought that would work, but it didn't work. And I can tell you that the, the to address the false gospel I mean, obviously, you, you need to be a defender of the faith, and you need to have some apologetics under your belt, but you cannot argue somebody into the gospel. And you can't address a false gospel just by arguing. You won't, you won't get anywhere. The answer to a false gospel is to proclaim the true gospel. What's true? The word preach there in that verse, it simply means to be, to herald or to be a herald, heralding the truth. There was obviously, in those days, you would, if you had a message, you would hand the, the message to a herald, and they would run through the streets and proclaim the message. And you and I have been given the, the commission to run through the proverbial streets and proclaim the truth. And that's what he's telling Timothy Proclaim at all times, when it's popular and when it's not. When it's, when you're in season and out, when it's popular, when it's not, you still proclaim the truth. I've watched people down through the years who, especially when we were all kids, but watched people who, when confronted with someone who didn't believe the truth, they would, they would either find a way to compromise or, or agree with that person or agree by silence. Instead of proclaiming the real truth. He said, and when you're doing this, when you're proclaiming the truth, you need to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And you and I do the same thing. We're proclaiming the sacred word of God that God breathed, that came out of God when he exhaled. We're proclaiming the truth of the scripture that he's given us for all times. He said, those people in that day, in verse 3, he said, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I won't just tell you the word doctrine is just another word for teaching. The problem is when we hear doctrine, we hear like the lady I told you about in the Baptist church I was in. And she said, I, want, I just want to know if he's going to preach Baptist doctrine. And I said, well, he's going to teach the Bible. And she said, that's not what I ask you. So when we hear the word doctrine... We, we want, we think it's the Baptist doctrine or the 
Methodist doctrine or the non-denominational doctrine or the whatever. It's just teaching. It's just teaching. Instruction. That's what it is. So he said, in those days, they will not embrace, they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Some of you are familiar with the verse in 3 John when he said, I pray that you that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. Another version say that you might prosper, which is what go well with you means. That you might prosper and be in good health. And the word there for health is the same word for sound. So what are we talking about? We need to embrace and endure teaching that contributes to the health of our soul. And I can tell you that starts with the Word of God. Don't ever, don't ever follow a teacher who's making up his own truth. Don't ever follow a teacher whose, whose truth is something that's extra biblical and not based on scripture. But it's, but it's truth that's healthy. He said, uh, in, again, in verse Three, he said, uh, but according to their own desires, according to their own desires, they're looking for those who can scratch their itch. They're looking for those who can t- scratch their itchy ears, Paul says. They, in other words, they have decided what they want to hear, and they've decided what they are not going to hear. And they, let me just tell you, don't do that. Don't, don't decide what you need to hear, what you want to hear before you go trying to find somebody to say it. I mean, come on. And if what you hear is not based on this book, go hear something else. I'm not talking about being Bible thumpers. I'm not talking about people went around waving the Bible and I'm talking about the Word of God that is anointed and revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we see what we didn't see before because of the work of the Holy Spirit, but it comes out of this Word that God breathed. Now, God didn't breathe this book. I mean, He created it because they they had to have trees to make this. But we're not talking about the paper, and we're not talking about the... I don't think this is leather, but we're talking about the living words, not the ink, the words that are alive. Where'd they come from? They came from God exhaling. So you're making a, you're doing, pounding on this a lot. I'm going to pound on it some more until I die. And then he says, be watchful, be watchful in, in, uh, Verse 5. Oh, he said in verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. How often do we hear fables? People are telling these fables. And everybody gets all excited because maybe it's spectacular. Maybe it's got some some uh, version of signs and wonders. Maybe, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm definitely not opposed to signs and wonders. But... I am opposed to seeking the spectacular for the sake of seeking the spectacular. We used to have these these folks that would, uh, when I was associate pastor of a church in Louisiana, they'd come sit on the front row 
and sleep. No matter who's preaching, me, the other guy, the pastor, no matter who's preaching, they'd sleep the whole time. But when it was time to, for somebody to pray, boy, they was up because what they, what did they want? They wanted to fall down on the floor. He said, boy, you are, anyway. <laughs> hey, do I believe people are slain in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. No question about it. Do I believe it happens every time? Mm, probably not. And so these folks were looking for a thrill. They weren't looking for to have God touch them as much as they were looking for a thrill. And these people with itchy ears and listening to fables, they're just looking, they were just looking for a thrill and looking for somebody to justify their own beliefs. He says in verse 5, but you be watchful. Your Bible may say, be sober-minded there because the word is actually and literally to abstain from wine. So you're preaching against drinking? No, but when in doubt, don't. You'd be better off. But but his point is not that, his point is to be clear-minded. You be clear-minded, Timothy. You don't get muddled. You don't let the things of life cause your thinking to become unclear. Don't get confused. Because remember, this is a guy who is shy. He's timid. He's withdrawn. He's he's uh, people giving him a hard time because he's so young. He says, "You you you be clear minded. You be sober minded. You endure hardship." Because if you live the Christian, he said in, in chapter 3, verse 12, he said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus, this is a promise, by the way. You, when, when you sing standing on the promises of Christ my Savior, this is one of them. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What a promise. Okay, Jesus, maybe we can give us a better promise than that one. He said, endure hardship. And I'm telling you today, whatever we face in our culture, whatever whatever we see, whatever we hear, whatever we're confronted with, endure that. How do you endure that? You hold on to the truth. It's the truth that's going to set you free, not succumbing to a false truth. Do the work of an evangelist. Timothy, I don't know that he was an evangelist, but he told him to do the work of an evangelist. And I'm telling you today, do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist proclaims the good news. Fulfill your service. You and I both have are in service in the kingdom of God. All of us are. Not just the preachers, not just the Sunday school teachers, not just the people on TV. We're all in service. Y'all think I'm done, don't you? I might be. I would tell you to embrace sound teaching. Now, if you think for a second, I hate even have to say this, but if you think for a second that by that I mean just listen to me, then you are so wrong. Or like the Fonzie said, wrong. You're so wrong. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I don't care who you listen to, me or whoever, you need to verify what what is said according to this book verify but embrace sound teaching that is healthy for your soul wherever it comes from 
and measure by the truth of Scripture and not how you might feel. We so often do that. We base everything on how we feel. I feel this or I feel that. And you talk about something or a principle or a value system. Well, I don't feel that's right. Well, you don't have anything to do with how you feel. Now, I'm going to make some people mad. But I, I promise you, I'll still sleep tonight. But you can say, you can say a marriage is between a man and a man and a woman and a woman all you want to. But it's not true. Not only did God say it was a male and a female, Jesus said the same thing. You can take a young man or a young woman and turn them into the opposite gender all you want to, but they're still the gender they were born. You just, I mean, you can say that it's okay for a man to have relations with a man and a woman with a woman, but the Bible is very clear that's unnatural. I mean, yeah, but, yeah, but, there ain't no yeah, buts about it. I mean, I understand that. I'm not talking about wagging the finger and I'm not talking about arguing with people. I'm not talking about belittling people. I'm not talking about getting down on or looking down on people or talking down to people. Because if you want to carry that conversation, you can also say, there was a guy I knew long years ago and, and uh, he would come to a place I was and he, he, he was a professing Christian. And he said, I just can't help myself. When I'm out of town, I gotta go find a woman. I said, You're married, aren't you? Yeah, I'm married. I go to such and such church back home or such. A... I said, You're creating your own truth. I said, You can't do that. I'm not picking, because you could, you know, someone said, do you think homosexuality is a sin? I said, Absolutely, I do. But I also believe adultery is and stealing and lying. I mean, it's, you know, it's all a sin. And we can't be wagging our finger, but we also at the same time cannot be setting up a new theology based on how we think it all, because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You know what? If I saw someone jumping off a cliff and I didn't go grab them by the back of their head and snatch them backwards, how much would I have to hate them to keep them from jumping off that cliff? How much would I have to hate them to not tell them the truth? How much would I have to dislike them? Because it doesn't matter what. You could go down the list, the ones I've mentioned, and there's a longer list. No matter what lifestyle someone has chosen, if they've chosen something less than or other than the principles in this Word of God, they've chosen less than God has for them. That's the sad. It's not, oh, I'm mad at you because you've, you've went that way. It's I'm sad for you because God has so much more for you. And I'm telling you and me today that we might not deal with any of those issues that I just named, but we might deal with some others. We might deal with some other issues that are weighting us down, Hebrews 12. And are we going to justify those issues or are we going to embrace sound doctrine, sound teaching in the stressful times? That's the question we got to ask. (laughs) 
For those of you who I made mad, I'm glad you were here today. Hope to see you one day again somewhere. (laughs) J.B. Phillips has a New Testament translation that often I like what he writes. Romans 12, he writes this. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship. Would that we would be more intelligent worshipers. And I don't just mean singing songs. To give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. But let God remold you and remold your minds from within. So that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Let me just tell you, the world is, would love to squeeze you into their mold. They'd love to take you and fashion you and fashion your thinking according to the way the world thinks. And I'm telling you, I'm telling me, that we must embrace sound teaching in, in those times. We must embrace sound theology that comes from the scriptures in those times. We don't have to be combative. We don't have to be argumentative. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to be mean. But we have to be stable. We have to be strong. And we have to be able to say, well, this is what the truth is. And I'm going to abide by and I'm going to hold on to the truth. Because it's the truth that's going to get me through. Stand with me.